Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to... Is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so... Um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars, uh, the original, you could say. And joining us this week is a man who... Uh, is not only a guest on Inside Supercars here with us right now, but also have made his debut on the other Inside Supercars earlier this week. Good evening, folks. Good evening, Craig. Yes, I've gone multimedia again. Indeed, and it's freaking out Gary O'Brien because as we record this live on Computer Ones and Zeros, you've actually got him on the big screen TV as well. Indeed, I do. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Craig. <laughs> hey, Gary. Yeah, that would freak me out, I tell you. Mm. Now, I certainly can introduce Fogues as a contributing writer for motorsport with Fairfax Media, but there is a sort of Damocles hanging over anyone involved with auto action. Gary O'Brien, as the national editor of auto action, it is... Probably disappointing news that has been relayed to you over the last few days. Oh, most certainly that um, auto action is finished here. Yeah. Uh, not good news, but not unexpected. Uh, I, I guess long term we were thinking that um, it wouldn't last forever, but by the same token, it's always a bit of a shock when the, the rug has been pulled under you. I guess a lot of people, folks, were hoping that it could transition into an electronic uh, delivery platform and that's something that isn't going to happen? Well, let's not quite give up hope yet. Yes, officially it ceases publication as of next week's issue, which is scheduled to be the final issue, certainly the final issue under the auspices of Bauer Media, which took over ACP magazine some years ago. Um, but there are efforts going on to rescue the title, to save it, and... I'd like to say they're promising, but they're in their very early stages. But there is interest out there um, to save auto action, to um, keep that precious history and uh, the heritage and, and just for something to remain as an independent voice in the motorsport media. Because if it goes, because it was pretty much last man standing in terms of a general interest motorsport magazine, um, if it goes, well, that pretty much leaves just one media outlet, and that's uh, specialised in motor racing, and, and that can never be good. So, um, fingers crossed that um, the buyer, a potential buyer, has come out of the woodwork and has expressed interest, and should this week be talking with the publishers and you know working out whether it's worth taking it over. And otherwise, I'm hopeful that um, a bit further down the track, if you know if if this bid doesn't work, that there are some um, interested, wealthy, and I stress there have to be wealthy motorsport enthusiasts out there who uh, who see the, the importance of auto action, see the need to keep it going, and hopefully um, it'll strike a chord with them because a lot of them maybe grew up with auto action and it was a very significant part of their interest in, uh, in and interest and involvement in motorsport. So um, that's where it's at. 
you know, officially yet. As of next week, it's the last magazine, and as of Friday this week, in fact, the magazine shuts down. The, you know, the staff leave, and um, how it continues and in what shape, um, you know, the website would come to the forefront. But you know, the intention is to keep Auto Action going as a print publication in some form. Now, whether that remains weekly or becomes fortnightly, or if you ask my personal opinion, more likely some sort of you know, a prestige monthly publication that goes into motorsport in considerable depth, in a lot more depth than it has been able to do in the past. You know, you'd like to think maybe an Australian version of British Motorsport magazine. That would be the ideal. But, um, anyway. It does raise an interesting question, and that is, folks, you have a long history with Auto Action. Your first article was published there. Yeah, and 44 years ago. And uh, at that time, you probably had the choice of six magazines that were regularly um, being published and on a variation of fortnightly or monthly that you could put your um, musings to. It's well, now... yeah, just off the top of my head, I can, you know, back in February 1971 when Auto Action... Um, started, it was launched by a guy called Len Shaw, who was running what was then the magazine department of the Age newspaper. Um, David Syme was the publisher in those days. And yes, there was already Racing Car News back then, which is the, month, the monthly bible of motorsport. Motor racing in Australia was well established. And there was also Australian Motoring News, which was a fortnightly sort of, well, broadly speaking, tabloid newspaper that was primarily about motorsport, but was also about general motoring. Um, so, and others came and went over the years. Australian Motor Racing Magazine was another one. Chicken Flag was there for a while. Um, so, yeah, there were outlets. And, of course, at some stage, I've written for all of those and, and many more. But, as I said, Auto Action itself is more than 45 years old. It's the last man standing of, of its genre. Um, and I've been involved, not continuously, but pretty regularly, um, for 44 years and started my whole journalistic um, and broadcasting career, you know, out of the, that one pathetic article that was published in Auto Action in March 1972. And <coughs> Auto Action has a, has a very rich heritage of training some of the, the very best, not only motorsport riders in the business that have come and gone or are still around, um, but many of the top motoring writers around at this time and many of them have um, started their careers or had a significant part of their early career in auto action. Many of them, you know, names you'd recognise now in the motoring press like um, Andrew McLean, who's the editor of um, Drive, the Fairfax um, motoring section. You know, he's one of many um, journalists who have who are ex-editors of Auto Action. And I have to tell you, it's not a very exclusive club. I'm one of them. But lots of us have either trained or been editor of Auto Action. So um, yeah. you're right. You know, there's, there's, well, as we speak, there'll be virtually nowhere to train young journalists. And um, that's going to be a problem. It is indeed. And, uh, Gary, uh, I, I should chime in now. There is a publication called V8 Action, which is infrequent has been on the shelves and also um, Matt Coocher's uh, or Couch's 
Velocity magazine has transitioned from digital to print. So whilst we are mourning the demise of print journalists in a general motorsport sense, there are a few uh, few efforts still being made. But they're not general interest. They don't cover the whole breadth of motorsport, of motor racing, of car racing. Mm. As I yeah, understand, you know, because that's why I didn't mention, sorry, that's why I didn't mention V8X magazine, not because no. um, it's not worthy of mention, but it's a very specific title that covers just V8 supercars and nothing else and those other titles you you mentioned um, are pretty limited, whereas the, the importance of auto action particularly is that it covers, you know, even, even though V8 supercars is... is the main area of coverage, because that's where the market is, but it covers pretty much everything else. And also, as, and Gary will talk to you about this, it's very important, you know, has that whole section on, you know, state racing, on club racing and national racing, and that's very important because that doesn't get much exposure anywhere else. No, and that's where I was going with Gary, because you've been the national editor, you've been the, the person people turn to when they want to get events that, don't capture the imagination like a Clipsall or a Townsville or even a Winton. Yeah, that's correct. You know, and it's just not circuit racing either. It's off-road, it's rallying, it's hill climbs, you name it. You know, there's some spectacular meetings out there that otherwise would get no coverage. I think probably the most one that people are starting to notice is the Peak Desert Race and how big that is on a June long weekend at Alice Springs. I can remember back in the 90s where there was 13 cars in it. Now they've expanded the entry to 140. Uh, events like that, which Auto Action covered all the way through, and I think that's probably um, a lot of the basis of where um, the motorsport uh, fan will miss out in the future. Won't mm. know anything about these because they're not even covered in the uh, digital media. Yep. Now, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but there is more to talk about on this uh, very topic uh, when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Critic as we rejoin us here on Inside Supercars, Mark Foti and also Gary O'Brien joining me, Craig Ravel. Uh, guys, critically to what we were talking about before, the demise of auto action or the, uh, you know, the sword of Damocles swinging above its head. Um, and I think it's pretty safe to say it's, it'll be a phoenix rather than a saviour, whoever comes to their uh, rescue. Um, or whoever comes in to take the masthead. But if someone does. If, if it does. Uh, you seem to be uh, pointing, pointing uh, Tony Quinn's or trying to twist Tony Quinn's ear with the uh, resume that you put their folks on who might be interested. In, and perhaps that's my point. All these other series outside of V8 Supercars who do have a very heavy News Limited tie-in, who do have yourself folks writing predominantly Formula One or V8 Supercar stories for Fairfax, sure. they are going to be the ones that probably become 
the most affected by the demise of a publication like this. And the GT series, uh, Carrera Cup, whilst they might not get the column inches of V8 supercars in auto or have got in auto action, they have been able to have debate about their series, have had, uh, you know, certainly photographs published and also race... uh, race driver profiles and race event profiles, which now won't be available in mainstream media. And, uh, Gary, I'll let, I'll let you have a chat about how much this will impact on support series because you could even say the Dunlop series doesn't get much of a run and they've got a whole media b- department that is uh, able to produce stuff for them. Yeah, well, well the, the last one you mentioned there's a, a good example from uh, Philip Island race meeting, Auto Action actually covered it on their digital side as well as in the magazine, which is the only category they did, uh, apart from the main game, of course. And um, it's a bit of a shame, but uh, um, I don't know what they will do. Uh, we've seen the, the, the Ute series uh, get into a bit of strife this year with numbers falling out of it, but some of the other prominent categories, as you mentioned, with Porsche, with the Carrera Cup and also GT Prix Cup Challenge, um, we'll have to just basically rely on uh, the media services from that group. And that's the critical thing because these groups are running, and particularly even the Shannon's Nationals, they're running on a shoestring budget. They don't have dedicated people employed to write stories for them, folks. It's, it's not as if you can go to a website and see you know, the bulk and the breadth of stories that are available when you have journalists who are out there looking for angles and looking for uh, stories that aren't um, focusing in on the main people who will get you the click or get you the uh, sales off the masthead. Well, the main point is that it's not independent yep. coverage, you know, and that's what a magazine, it's the same, you know, that's the role that the media plays in the world, and it doesn't always get it right by any stress of the imagination. But you know, it 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 keeps everyone from politicians and governments down to account. And you know, if you if you if you rely on information provided only by the the organisers of these various categories, um, and and you know, th- th- this goes for the you know, the AFL have their own website and they've become very aggressive with their media department. VH Supercars has become a very aggressive on its own website and is providing some good information but it's not you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're pushing their own barrow and that's fine you know, that's what it is and you know, you mentioned News Limited and uh, News, whatever it's called these days and Fairfax Media um, you know, you're always battling to get motorsport in, in into the, certainly the print paper, um, they're Websites are not such um, a problem, um, but, you know, space in the paper is still precious. And, you know, it, it's unfortunately, and I know because, you know, I'm battling all the time, you know, the, the interest such as there is, is only in V8 supercars and Formula One. Um, and, you know, um, to a lesser extent, MotoGP, you know, very occasionally I, in the Sunday edition of, you know, of the age, I can get a, a, a broader piece about something else, um, you know, just last Sunday, I managed to get a piece in about the Porsche Rennsport Australia, but that had to be angled around, you know, on the fact that there were seven V8 supercar drivers taking part. You know, that sparks the interest. 
Um, but yeah, the, the lack of independent coverage is, you know, it, you know, is, which is what we're talking about. Um, it's not exclusive to motorsport. You know, it's across the board as as, as the the media evolves and changes very rapidly. But um, and and print media is struggling. So you need. As I said, you know, ideally you need a wealthy benefactor and you mentioned Tony Quinn and, you know, he, he's one of the people that if I need to, I will be talking to because you would hope, you know, he's got enough enthusiasm, um, you know, that he, he would um, at least be, say, part of a consortium um, that might be brought in to, to, to support the magazine. He's not the person that I'm talking about at the moment who has expressed an interest, a similar sort of person. Um, but you're right, and you know, and it's not unusual. I mean, look, you know, Australian motorsport is essentially, you know, underpinned over the years, has been supported by wealthy benefactors, hasn't it? You know, there's always someone who comes along. You know, Tony Quinn is the latest in picking up the Australian GT Championship and supporting it, and he, he you know, he bought us um, the Aussie Racing Car Series. You know, before him we had Ross Palmer, um, you know, and their ilk. Um, you know, wealthy enthusiasts, you know, have an important part to play in motorsport. So and always they can have. get involved. Yeah, that's my point. Always have. So it wouldn't be it wouldn't be unusual if they got involved to, to keep auto action um, going, and that would certainly involve a much a much increased presence presence. You know, in in the digital domain. You know, particularly a website. You know, it's had a website now for I don't know. I want to say a couple of years. Maybe it's a bit longer than that, but it was a god-awful-looking thing for a start. It actually had some pretty good content, but Jesus. Oh, sorry. Jeez, <laughs> G-E-E-Z. Yes. Um, it looked a fright. It really did. So, um, you know, there's potential there to, to expand on it. But, you know, in the future, if there is a future for auto action, um, you know, the website, let's say, would be the, would be the face of it, and then, you know, it would be supported by, uh, you know, a traditional print edition of some kind, but... As I said at the outset, you know, there is someone who has an interest, but we're still quite a long way from um, any sense that the magazine will be saved. All right. Now, it's something that I've been following this year, and uh, I haven't actually done the story yet, but it becomes even more poignant based on this news. Cameron Kirby is probably the youngest fully professional journalist in motorsport, and he's been in the game for a year and a half. I cannot see how a young university graduate journalist is going to be able to come into motor racing. And I know, folks, that's not the way you entered, but that's how you enter journalism nowadays. Mm-hmm. There's, Gary, there's going to be this problem. In, in 20 years' time, Fogues' arthritis is going to stop him from hitting a keyboard. Bruce Newton... You know, he's not going to be uh, as young and sprightly as he is now, who I think it's safe well, he's, to say... He's, ne- he's neither anyway, but go on. <laughs> Gordon Lomas over at Speed Cafe has, uh, you know, he's he's done the newspaper thing and now he's doing the electronic thing, but he's not getting any younger. So you've got young guys like Stefan Bartholomew, Lewis Isaac at the moment is going, what the hell am I going to do for a job? And then you've got... This vast gap of people. So, in twenty years' time, who's going to be writing about motorsport? 
forget forget about where they're going to be publishing it. Same to me. Yeah, 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 me and Gary. There you go. So what's your question, Craig? My question is, where do young people go if there's nowhere to start to? And my point is, having lived in and worked in America and in and around motor racing, you go to an American racetrack and... Uh, I'd certainly, folks, you've been to India and seen 5,000 people turning up in an Indy press, uh, presser where they might be raiding for the, you know, the, the local, uh, the local uh, free magazine or the local street press. But motorsport series over there go, this guy's a young guy, he's riding, he's doing his thing. Yes, it might have a, a readership of a hundred or maybe even a thousand, but we're going to take him in and we're going to treat him the same as we treat USA Today, because that guy could be the editor in chief of USA Today, and if we treat him like shit when he's a young guy, when we want to get a story up, he go, hmm, I've got a football story, I've got a NASCAR story, I've got an IndyCar story. IndyCar treated me like shit. I'm going to run this other one. Unfortunately, Australian motorsport doesn't take that magnanimous view of journalism. And I do know a lot of journos that tried to tried to write for v- like write V8 Supercar stories for their local papers, got turned away, and now are heads of other media organisations that go, I'm not covering it. They treated me like shit. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, I, I tend to think that any budding journalist that wants to get into... Uh, motorsport particularly, will have to look outside of what what we've traditionally seen as the pathway to getting somewhere. And um, whether it's with um, a team, a big team, as a media outlet or um, a media service of some description, um, or maybe through radio or TV. Well, once again, we talk about independence and... It's gone if you're writing for a team or if you're writing for the series. So yeah. It, it, yeah. it is a huge problem, and it's it's not a problem right now. This is a problem in in twenty years' time. Well, Maybe if I not was starting so. again, if, Craig, if I was starting again, I wouldn't know where to start. Honestly, you know, there were opportunities when I was a fifteen-year-old, and I exploited them. Um, I mean, it's up to the individual, basically. You know, if you're determined enough and resourceful enough and you're driven enough, you know, which I was as a kid, um, you'll battle your way through with whatever, and you'll take advantage of whatever opportunities are there. But they're, they're in the traditional sense, they're much fewer. In fact, if you, you know, if you look into the digital domain, there are, there are many, many more opportunities, particularly as the, well, what we generally refer to as the internet, which is actually the World Wide Web. But there are actually plenty of opportunities if people want to want to work for nothing. You know, there's plenty of places to start and to establish establish yourself. And you know, back in my day, I'm you know, and I'm talking what the best part of 45 years ago. You know, um, I was getting paid, but I still back in the day did a lot of things either you know for free or for very little money. Now the reality is that, you know, there's plenty of places, you know, any number of websites and blogs and, well, you can start one up yourself, but, you know, you're just not going to earn any money until you attract some attention. So, you know, there's going to be a different way to do it. And eventually media will work out how to make money out of the digital domain. You know, it's still a struggle. 
they don't know how to do it yet, but eventually someone will strike upon, you know, the way to do it. But, you know, and you use the American example, and, and that's, they just have a much more enlightened view um, over there of the media and, and you know, it, its usefulness and how you regard it. But that's to do with scale because, you know, even a, a small audience in the United States is a very big audience by our standards. You know, we're, you know, um, you know we're just, even though we're, what, we're heading towards 25 million, which is, a, you know, a population in Australia I could never have conceived when I, when I was a kid, but um, it's still small. So we just don't have the scale here to support things. Um, and so the United Kingdom, you know, that's sort of halfway between because it's, you know, what is it, about 65, 70 million. So, but, you know, they're struggling there as well. So, you know, I mean, essentially, Craig, as you know, and Gary as well, you know, it's not easy to break into the media and it shouldn't be. <laughs> so, you know, you know, it's basically if you're good enough, you'll battle, you'll battle your way through and, you, and you'll get there. But, you know, it doesn't help when the when you know the, the I guess the traditional opportunities dry up, but there are you know to be fair, there still are opportunities. You just won't make much money out of it for a very long time, and that then is limiting on people's interest in pursuing it as a career. Unfortunately, we'll take a break and then we're going to turn our attention from inward, looking at us in the media, to what it means for V8 supercars and where are they now. Oh, that'll be novel. We're actually going to talk about V8 supercars tonight. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that'll be an interesting subject. <laughs> Who would have thought? Hey? A break yeah. and more. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian title since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. As the naysayers have said, we've spent too much time talking about ourselves. Let's talk about V8 Supercars. Where are we now? We're post-car of the future, if that's what it was actually called. Um, or it was the con, wasn't it? Car and now. No, that's what it is now. Um, we're post the free-to-air TV birthright that we all have to watch it live every race. And we're certainly post Tony Cochran. Does motorsport have a wide enough base or is this V8 supercars experiencing what Speedway and drag racing to a lesser extent found out in the late 70s, early 80s, that you're just not that relevant in today's society anymore, Gary? Um, well, I don't know. I think we're, we're following a trend that uh, not only involves motorsport, um, sorry to get back off the subject a little bit, but uh, you look at some of our other national sports and uh, crowd figures are down to start with, TV figures are down to start with. I think there's just so much access to it. Whether you actually watch the actual event or catch up with it later, you're always going to know what happens. And I think it's just a trend that we're, we're sitting in at the moment. 
whether that changes in the future, I'm not so sure, but certainly um, I'm not sure about AFL. I don't know much about the game, but certainly NRL crowds have been pretty dismal. Uh, Sydney crowds for motorsport, dismal. Uh, you probably get better crowds in Queensland or some of the states we don't go to as much. Certainly outside the big events, crowds haven't been good at all. Sokes? Well, there's way more interest in motorsport um, than the mainstream media acknowledges, um, and that's but that's just there's been a there's a resistance, there's a mental block there. So it's nothing new. Um, you know, the reality is that by any measure, at least that so that VA Supercars, you know, is the fourth biggest sport in Australia, and that's supported by you know the number of people who watch it. Um, well, on, you know, convention, you know, television, which is, is evolving. And, you know, if you add in, you know, digital viewership and then attendances, you know, it, it is a it's a genuinely mainstream sport. And, you know, that's before you begin to add in the interest in Formula One particularly, which is huge, and the interest in MotoGP. Uh, and that just isn't and never has been acknowledged by the mainstream um, sports media. Um, but at the moment, I... I I hesitate to say that V8 supercars, um, or as it's soon to become known as just simply supercars, is in rude health, but it's in pretty good shape, and it's certainly financially a lot better off and a lot more stable than it was just a few years ago. Um, there's nothing wrong with the on-track product. The racing is and has been sensational, I reckon, overall. Now, um, well, in fact, since you could go back the last year of the old generation supercars, but, um, you know, 2012, you know, it was a stunning year, and the racing generally has been fantastic ever since and, and remains so, and now we've got, um, despite, you know, the, the, the dissent it caused and the position from hardcore enthusiasts, the reality is that the, the, the deal, the, the broadcasting deal, which is driven by Fox Sports, has... Um, alienated some people, but, you know, it's improved the coverage immeasurably, but more importantly, it's brought much-needed money into the sport um, that's gone back to the teams and helped support them and has probably saved two or three teams from going to the wall. And now um, we're on the verge of um, a major new sponsor coming to the sport as title sponsor of the series. That's Virgin Australia. Well, that's a big win because the sport actually hasn't had a naming rights sponsor now for what well over a decade i'd um, say since so, shell in the 90s yeah yeah the late 90s i think was the, was it or 99 or 2000 was the last you know shell shell championship series um but you know va supercar or supercars is now you know as the number four sport as i was explaining behind well certainly behind afl nrl and you know i guess you'd put cricket in as number three maybe sometimes um but just as it is the Toyota AFL Premiership and the NRL Telstra Championship, um, their supercars now has you know a naming rights sponsor. It'll be well, as I, such as I know it, um, it will be known as the Virgin Australia Supercars Championship. So you know it, it has a big name sponsor and that injects more money into the sport. And that's on top of um, what have we had recently. You know, Red Roosters come on board as a partner of the series. Um, Real Insurance has come on board, and who else do we have? Um, you know, trucks, and you know, 
under James Warburton's now nearly three-year reign, um, all all the financial damage that was done at the end of Tony Cochran's reign has been undone. The, the series is now on a a stable and and very healthy financial footing. Gary, I guess the the interesting thing to me is it's not breaking through. There is a resistance from mainstream media to give V8 Supercars, the fourth biggest sport in the country, any credibility, and uh, uh, even motorsport any credibility. A classic was uh, a high-profile ABC television show called The Insiders. This year treated the Melbourne Formula One Grand Prix as an irrelevance. And in actual fact, the commentators, the sports journalists on there said, yes, this race is now irrelevant. It's not even a big thing in Melbourne. <laughs> Such is a, a V8 supercar story, I would suggest to you, hasn't been on that program for four years, maybe even more. Ever? Uh, <laughs> no, I think I've seen one in the... It's only been around for 10 years, and I think I've seen one or two. I reckon it's four or five years since we've seen a... Fair supercar story on that on that. Uh, well, program. yeah, but you, I mean, <laughs> you've picked a you've picked a good example, but a poor example. Sorry, to Gary, but, but I just uh, jump the, in. You're I right, guess, you know, I guess my point was going to be. No, but it's, it's, full, of, it's full of traditional it. stick and balls journalists, you know, who just don't understand motorsport. They don't generally regard it as a sport. You know, they see it as blokes sitting down driving. How hard can that be? You know, I battle this every day. I've battled this all through my career. You know, I've spent as much time in newspapers as anything else. You know, started on newspapers and as a sports writer, you know. And it's been a constant battle that, you know, the the mainstream sports writers just do not regard motorsport as serious sport. You know, they they rate MotoGP, you know, because... You know, they're simple enough that they can see the riders throwing themselves around and they see it as physical. You know, they see, you know, they reckon even Formula One, they're just lazy blokes, you know, sitting and the car does all the work. They just don't understand. And this is a constant battle that's been going on as long as I've been doing this. And Insiders is a perfect example of the people you get on there. You know, who are we talking about? We're talking about Caroline Wilson, you know, who's one of my colleagues and, you know, the preeminent footy rider in... in um, in Melbourne, but, you know, neither understands nor wants to understand motorsport. Um, Jared Waitley, you know, again, you know, if it's got four legs or two legs and kicks a ball or anything like that, he understands it, but motorsport, um, he just doesn't comprehend it. So that's why I said you've picked a good example, but at the same time a very poor example, and they just highlight the fact that, you know, there's the constant battle of convincing the traditional bat and ball sports media, that, that motorsport is a legitimate sport. It's one of the most physical sports in the whole world. That's one that um, people regularly and, and die they, from. And they dismiss the, the number of people who, who are interested in it and watch it. All right, let's take a break. And there's a few topics to talk about. Sorry, Gary, I didn't mean to... No, you know the top of you there, but it's it's a it's a it's a career long hobby horse of mine. Yeah, I know, and I know it's been ongoing ever since I can remember that same issue. But Mm. the point I was going to make is, it's a serious accident. All of a sudden, it's in the news. It's the only time it ever rates in general newspapers. Of course, but that's because there is a monicum, and it's quite crude. If it bleeds, it leads, and perhaps. Uh, crudely, and particularly in Speedway, because I've just been doing a fair bit of research into um, 
into the 40s, 50s and 60s of Speedway, when there was a high percentage chance that uh, people would be killed, it got a lot of coverage. It uh, is because there's a bloodlust. And uh, the safer the sport's got, the less and less media it's attracted. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that there's a trend and you can plot it. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll talk about some modern day issues next here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, folks. I guess you're enjoying the freedom without someone standing off camera, pointing at you, telling you to wrap up. But uh, here's some subjects that I'm sure you talk about on the TV. And for those of the people that don't have have Foxtel, you uh, would have an opportunity now to speak to the great unwashed. Uh, Scotty, he's got a Scandinavian little uh, journey. I spoke to him last week and he's like, oh, Gary wants me to go, to, uh, go over to Sweden, but he hasn't told me what for. I'm pretty sure when he was told to bring his helmet and driving suit, he knew there was something going on. Yeah. yeah well, what you... How about we Sorry, give Gary no. a go? Yeah, go on, Gary. No, just saying, is he taking his skis and uh, what have you? Probably might be snow on the track when he gets there. <laughs> but, well, yeah, what a good break. And uh, certainly uh, give him a chance to uh, to take some of Volvo's other products in uh, a different championship. Good way of trying to uh, keep you in the team. If you say, here's a few things we could let you do on the side, folks. Oh, yeah, it's a great opportunity for him. Um, I think he'll struggle just because it's it's so different. You know, it's like Robert Dahlgren coming out here and um, trying to cope with V8 supercars. But it is a very good opportunity. And, yes, it's a a bit of the whining and dining process. Um, I think just as an aside, in reality... Scott McLaughlin's gone, you know, if he's not in a GJR team, Penske car next year, I'll be amazed. I think that deal is essentially done. It may not be signed on the dotted line, but I think terms have been agreed. Um, That's what I'm hearing. Now, whether it's at the cost of Scott Pye or they do actually expand to three cars, I I don't know. and I don't think that's to be determined. But regardless of that... He's going over there. He's um, standing in, you know, it's a, he's a, a royal replacement. He's standing in for Prince, um, I'm going to think of this as a Carl Philip or Philip Carl, yeah. um, who's an accomplished racing driver, but he's having the weekend off because his father, the King of Sweden, is um, celebrating his 70th birthday. So a big celebration going there. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a big rap for Scotty McLaughlin because he's basically getting the call-up from Bravo Sweden. They need a replacement for their Royal Racer and who have they thought of? But, you know, their man down under. So, um, you know, it's a tribute to him and it'll be interesting because, you know, he'll be driving a Volvo but a very different kind because it'll be a, you know, four-cylinder turbocharged thingy, Bob. Mm. Perhaps the uh, engine it, it'll that... Look, 
an S60, but a very different one. Perhaps like an engine that V8 Supercars would like to see in their series as well. However, I do digress. Uh, Gary, the Giz, he hasn't had too many problems jumping and this way and that, and uh, he kicked off his Blank Pain series for 2016 in perfect style um, at Monza. Yeah, worked hard for it, but uh, what a what a great win for him over there. Followed in the vein of uh, running at, was it Spa last year? And then, of course, backed that up with the win at the Bathurst 12-hour in February. So um, he's handling uh, a change of pace, so to speak, from a V8 supercar into a GT car uh, fairly well. And uh, let's hope it continues. And one of the things, I guess, folks, that people go, wow, the Giz is doing all this extra racing. But uh, particularly when we were at the Hall of Fame uh, dinner uh, a few weeks ago or a month or so ago now, you saw through the history of motorsport, guys did that all the time. They'd race this car and they'd race that car. They were trying to earn a living. And when you only had six races in one type of car a year, you took whatever races were offered to you to uh, make sure you had food on the table. He is definitely a throwback to that era of the 50s, 60s and into the early 70s when top drivers used to drive every weekend and anything they could get their hands on. But he's unusual because back in those days, they had the opportunity. They just, you know, even, you know, there was a time when the Formula One World Championship, you know, had as as few as, you know, eight races in the whole year. So they had plenty of time to do touring car races and sports car races. And Formula Two was another big one. And, you know, the likes of Jim Clark would compete in all of them. But he's, he's a – Shane Van Gisbergen is a modern freak because he just loves driving. If he could drive, race every weekend, <laughs> I'd suggest every day, actually, <laughs> he'd love to do it. And it's, and for him, it works. You know, it keeps him sharp. Um, you know, what is it, three weeks in a row at least, he did Phillip Island, then he would went and did um, the race, the Blancpain. Uh, GD Endurance Race and won that at uh, Monza, you know, which what a great one of the great cathedrals of racing. And this weekend he'll be in the Carrera Cup, Porsche Carrera Cup Pro Am up at Sydney Motorsport Park. Uh, and then the next weekend he'll be racing at Barbagallo in in the V8. So, you know, he loves it. It keeps him very sharp. Um, but he's a strange one, the Giz, isn't he? And you know, a few he's... weeks ago I. You know, I would have said he was unbackable, unbackable odds to win the V8 Supercar Championship. You know, he's clearly the fastest guy. He was building momentum. Then we get to Phillip Island, and it's the old gears back, just disappears. You know, highs and lows. He's the ultimate yo-yo. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've gone off him winning the championship. I mean, he'll win races, but he's just as likely to, you know, to struggle again at Barbagallo. But that's says nothing about his sheer talent, his exuberance, his, you know, he and Scott McLaughlin are the two most exciting drivers out there at the moment, but Shane is, um, well, I often use the word mercurial to describe him because he is wildly inconsistent and even Red Bull Racing are having problems harnessing that sheer talent because he just, he just, well, I just, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think setup's his strength, so unless the team is right on it, as we saw at Techno, in his few years there, you know, he could be a absolute, you know, untouchable one day and then another day, you just think, well, where the hell is he? And, you know, he'll come on gangbusters as, as ever at the end of the championship, don't worry, from Bathurst on, suddenly, he's, you know, he's in contention, but he's, um, 
wildly exciting but also wildly inconsistent. Yep. And, of course, he's the, he's the complete um, counterpoint to his teammate who goes, eh, 16 events a year because I can't remember how many bloody races there are or rounds or whatever they're mm. calling it this week. Uh, it's fine. That's more than enough racing I need. And, of course, I'm talking about Jamie Winkup. He's, he's like, yep, I make enough money. I've got a good life and I can get away from it and I need space. It's it's a it's amazing now that they're both teammates that you have that uh, that difference, yeah. and uh, you know I think the difference will work, but I don't think it has to work in the first year. Um, it'll there'll be. Well, a I, I was um, with another V8 supercar driver um, today, and he was just shaking his head. He you know he can't believe that Van Gisbergen you know wants to race every weekend, he said, oh, you know, leave me out of it. I'm happy just doing what I do. I couldn't do it, you know. So, um, he is, as I said, he's a freak, but he wants to race all the time and any time he can. Most of the other drivers, you know, 16 meetings a year is enough for them. Yep. And I, I don't know, Gary, I grew up, and you've been around motor racing for such a long time, I grew up and that's what motor racers were like. Yeah, well, just, I want to drive race cars, and I'm a yeah. race car driver. Yeah, in don't fact, forget too, he's um, he's doing the odd drift as well, mm. which is a totally whole discipline uh, on its own. It's uh, unlike what you do because it's all about execution, a bit like uh, synchronized swimming, in my opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> I had it as surfing, job. but you went you went off <laughs> the high board there. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, um, I'm, I'm, I must admit that I've seen a little bit of it at Sydney Motorsport Park last August when it was on with the V8s. The cars are actually doing their, their drifting at a lot faster speed than they were when it first started. So I guess there's, there's, there is an attraction there for people, but it uh, doesn't grab me. And in a, in a culture here in Australia that is moving away from cars, these the cars in drifting, they're beautiful pieces of kit. Um, and that is another interesting challenge that uh, they are being engineered to you know to the level of national of national um circuit racing cars or speedway cars so it's whilst yeah whilst maybe us old farts think it's a bit of a joke um there still is a lot of uh, key ingredients that are part of motorsport uh, gary the Ren Sport Weekend. Now, I dare to say biannual when Fogues is on the panel, but I'm pretty sure biannual can mean twice a year or every two years. And for Ren Sport, it's every two years. Well, it's, um, it is at the moment, yeah, because this is the second one and we had the first one two years ago. Um, yeah, but uh, interesting, the Pro-Am's such a great event and the uh, last two years it's been held at Phillip Island. Prior to that, it was at uh, City Motorsport Park. Brings together... Uh, what their pro and their AMs, but some of the AMs are uh, pretty hot property, and uh, probably one that sticks to my mind has been uh, Dylan Thomas, who um, actually won the second race for the of the two one-hour races down at Phillip Island last year, partnered up with Nick Foster, who ended up winning the Carrera Cup series last year or championship. So to, uh, to get that sort of mix of blood between amateurs and pros, V8 supercar drivers. You name it, it's, uh, it's always been a good event and uh, been very close in the, in the years they've been running it down at uh, in Phillip Island in particular. I missed the one here in Sydney when it was on uh, initially because we had uh, Shannon's National round at Phillip Island the same weekend, but 
Uh, looking forward to going out and having having a good look at this one this weekend. Yeah, it will be interesting. And, folks, when you talk about manufacturers in motorsport, there's one manufacturer that doesn't get the kudos that it needs here in Australia, and that is Porsche. And the Rensport weekend is a classic is a classic example of how much Porsche are involved in Australian motorsport. Carrera Cup, the the GT Trophy, and then all the club races that are out there in their 911s yeah. and every other car you can imagine. And um, they have the pyramid of motorsport, which, of course, is the Super Cup series over in Europe. Yeah. Well, it's ingrained in Porsche's DNA. You know, <laughs> it's part of why the brand is successful as it is, and can charge the premium prices it does, um, because motorsport has been part of its long and esteemed history, and it's it's a big part of the brand's appeal. And this um, Ren Sport, it's genuinely a motorsport, a motor racing festival. I mean, it's, the the Pro Am, the Career Cup Pro Am, is the highlight of it. But there's going to be so much, as I understand it. Porsche, rate, Porsche racing action going on. There'll be displays and demonstrations of a lot of historic Porsche racing cars, you know, one of them being, <coughs> I believe, Jim McEwen's um, Porsche 911 that raced in the Australian Touring Car Championship back in, well, certainly in 1969, he almost won the championship um, in the days when you could um, win, the, well, possibly win the championship within the... Uh, Gary, help me out here, but it was, what, an under two-and-a-half-litre two class or something? Yeah, it was based on classes at the time, yeah. and... Uh, you you accumulated points in your class rather than outright and only missed sure. up by a point or a point and a half or something, I think, in the end. Yep. You did um, the last round. And, you know, there's going to be a couple of Le Mans Porsches, you know, from back in the late 70s and um, late 90s. And an interesting car that's going to be doing demonstrations, I gather, is that uh, Walkinshaw Racing, which is joining GTs officially at Barbagallo, where the GTs are on the support program of the V8 Supercars, um, they're going to be uh, doing demonstration laps in their new uh, Porsche 911 GT3 uh, R, is it? Or yeah, something. Yeah, GT3 I think that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the latest, and it, with with some assist, you know, some involvement with, from Porsche Australia, and in fact, it's running in the same essential colour scheme as the uh, Porsche Le Mans races are. So that's an interesting um, expansion for Walkinshaw Racing. I would have thought they should get their Holden Racing team act together before they start branching out, but that's just me, you know. Um, anyway, but that car will be on display. So, I mean, you know, potentially it could be, you know, well, certainly if you're a, a Porsche and a Porsche file, it'll, it'll be a great um, weekend. But you're right, Craig, you know, Porsche Australia, Australia which, you know, they're, you know, in the, in the, big scheme of things in the Australian automotive market are just, you know, they're tiny, they're a spec, they're a minnow, but they're very profitable. Um, but they, you know, they they um, punch above their weight, as we say, and they put a disproportionate amount of support into motorsport here compared with their how many cars they sell, basically. Mm. I was, I was going to say, they don't do anything by halves, they certainly do it properly. And an interesting yeah. point, um, I remember a, a club level guy I was talking to at a race meeting once saying, "My next car will be a GT3 car, not the latest GT3, but maybe a 996 or an early 997." And mm-hmm. he said to me, "He said, you know, if, if you buy one of those and go racing with it, you can do Porsche races, you can do GT races, you can do production sports, Mark sports, and even some Porsche other Porsche races." So yeah. the versatility of owning one car and covering so many different classes 
there's always been a, an attraction towards that mark as well. And you know what's interesting about this and kind of brings us back full circle is that Porsche Cars Australia's interest and involvement in motorsport is driven by Paul Ellis. Paul mm-hmm. is their, you know, PR boss and their motorsport boss. And a colourful racing identity too. He is, uh, well, he's, he's, he's um, part of the auto action alumni you know, he he um, did. He started his journalistic career, which led him into media and communications on auto action um, back in the, when was it the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, he was um, the national editor. Oh <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I think he yeah. became deputy editor eventually. But the, he yeah, he, he moved on, and he was a he was a, a leading motoring writer for a while. Um, I think he was on the the Herald Sun, working with Paul Gover, um, and eventually went into PR, and he's worked for. Um, well, at least Saab before Porsche. Um, anyway, it just mm. takes its full circle. But, you know, it does. His, his journalistic training was um, done on auto action, just another example of, of one element of that magazine's importance. Mm. Now, we'll take a break. I do want to speak about Paul Williamson. Uh, Peter he, Williamson, even? Peter, yes. I need to I read my script a bit better. Uh, <laughs> we'll take I, love a... this. I love this show. <laughs> we'll... It's one of the delights, it really is. (laughs) We'll take a break and be back with more of Fogue's favourite Inside Supercars program right after this. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, now anointed as the favourite Inside Supercars of one Mark Fogarty, editor-at-large at Auto Action for four more days, probably two more days. Almost, yeah, almost ex-editor-at-large. Um, Peter Williamson, he passed away last week, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's fitting that we both have a, well, we all have a chat about the legacy that was Peter Williamson and and what he was prepared to do when Seven came up with a crazy idea of putting a camera in the car and taking live pictures. That in itself was amazing, but the fact of the matter that he just decided to commentate through because he couldn't hear what was happening on his radio, so he just started talking. And we actually had live commentary from a driver as he's driving around Mount Panorama Bathurst. It changed sports broadcasting, not just motorsport broadcasting, but it changed sports broadcasting around the world. You know, race cam was an Australian invention that very quickly took off overseas. And it, as I said, you know, it certainly changed the coverage of motorsport around the world. Um, it was very quickly adopted by the CBS network in the United States um, in their Daytona 500 coverage. And it, it just went worldwide variations of it have been used in every other aspect of sports broadcasting so it was a seminal motorsport a seminal moment in australian motorsport in world motorsport and world sports broadcasting and 
and Peter Williamson, who was a great character, you know, back in the what mid late seventies and into the through the eighties, I guess, um, he was the, the first guy um, to open his mouth um, with this, you know, what was then a big bulky camera inside the car, and and he was just sensational, you know, because. He, as you say, he didn't. He didn't need to be prompted. He just talked, and you know, this classic lines like, "I'll never," you know, I even still remember, you know, that bloody Volvo again, you know, or something like that. You oh, know, when oh, he came up to lap it. And that Camaro, that big Yankee thing, get out yeah, of the yeah. way. <laughs> but he was great. But he was he was a tremendous character anyway. And you know, when didn't he take an axe to the thing? Uh, no, he screwed yeah. it because they could oh, yeah. fuel it. Yeah, but it was all part of the drama, and you know. He and Dick Johnson, you know, and to a lesser extent, uh, Peter Brock had, you know, just talked their way around the track with losing very, li- very little lap time. And in fact, I think it's um, it's it's quite well known that Peter Williamson, of all the people who talked as they were racing around, lost less time than any of the others. You know, the others lost tenths of a second, and um, Willow barely lost any time as he was ranting and raving his his way around the track. But he was just he was great for motorsport back in the day. I mean, he was a very very successful and a very large um, car dealer and, and obviously a Toyota dealer up in Sydney. Um, and he, you know, he raced traditionally, you know, Toyotas, the, what, the two-litre Celicas and just thrashed the life out of them, but, you know, and famous at Bathurst, but also, you know, around the country and certainly he was a specialist. Gary, wasn't he, at Amaru Park? He was. Race Ham's car there. Uh, uh, after the Celica, he had the Supra. He did a mm-hmm. bit of uh, Formula Pacific. Remember yes. that? Um, yes. I think there's a Galloway. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Space uh, 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 chassis with a Toyota engine. Mm-hmm. Um, did all right in that when that started after the demise of Formula Five Thousand. And um, I remember uh, the year that he had that crash um, under the bridge coming down in the Murray's Corner where the uh, fire extinguisher came off and hit him mm-hmm. in the jaw, broke his jaw. And then he came back. He came back with a full face helmet. Didn't do a lot after that, but um, I remember seeing him at Amaru and saying, "It's great to see you back." And he just sort of looked to say, "Oh, well, really? Thank you." And mm. uh, and then of course then he went into retirement after that. He's uh, he's one liners around Bathurst. I mean, we talk about um, not losing time. Uh, I guess whilst not defending uh, uh, Dick Johnson or Peter Brock. There was no interaction of talking. It was just all his comments <laughs> as, you, as, as you, you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off. You go, you, you bloody idiot. And that's, uh-huh. that's the sort of thing that he came out with. And even um, he was cheering on the people that were going past him when on the uh, on the show that you're on on the TV that they mentioned that when Bobby Morris went past him and there were other instances where Dick Johnson and you could hear the the howl of the big V8s going past his screaming two-litre Salika going down the straight. All great stuff. In fact, uh, whilst I didn't know Peter, uh, Colin Ford was a mechanic of uh, Peter's back in Mm -hmm. those days and he ended up joining us on uh, Inside Motorsport uh, for many years. He was a correspondent on Inside Motorsport with us and would tell us the most amazing stories of what Peter would get up to. over the course of racing weekends, and uh, they had a lot of fun. And I, 
it's not lost. That type of fun that these guys are having is not lost. There's still plenty of guys out there running in, uh, particularly production cars, of the where I hear the stories from now, Gary, and they're not even from you, so I can protect. <laughs> protect I'll say, I'll say they're true stories, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Never let the truth interfere with a good story. That's a journalist. No, story. That's good on you. Exactly right. Look, uh, a final thought, and then the game that everyone loves. Who would you rather be, Fogs? A final thought from you. Well, I just hope that motorsport enthusiasts around Australia rally to the cause and uh, go out in their droves and buy the final couple of issues of Auto Actions. That would be nice because, you know, we have lost a lot of readers and there's reasons for that um, that are both to do with the magazine and just the changing environment. But I would also urge motorsport enthusiasts that if Auto Action does come back, um, that they rally and that they they support the thing because... Um, you know, the people who do it subsequently are doing it for them. You know, it's you know, we may joke and it's our profession, but at the end of the day, we're doing it for motorsport fans, aren't we? All of us, you know, we're, uh, we're, always... we're trying to we're trying to ed- entertain and educate motorsport enthusiasts because we are motorsport enthusiasts as well. You know, you wouldn't be doing this otherwise. So, you know, everyone out there, when and if you hear that Auto Action's back, jump on board, support us, and Actually, as a side note too, I'd implore CAMS to get on board because, you know, if anyone has a responsibility to um, ensure the future of independent broad-based coverage of motorsport, well, you'd think it would be the Confederation of Australian Motorsports. So maybe I'll add Eugene Orocca to my list of people I need to speak to. Indeed. Uh, final thought, Gary O'Brien. Um, well, I think go to action... Uh a lot of people claim auto action loss readers through not covering grassroots motorsport, but uh, when grassroots motorsport was covered, the people I'm talking about weren't buying it. So there lies the problem, I think. Uh, if you're going to cover uh, the sport at all levels, at least uh, it should have the support of all levels. Mm. Well, hopefully it's going to be a case, Gary, of, you know, you know, classically, you know, you don't know what you have until you lose it. And, uh, you know, people will suddenly realise and a lot of disaffected readers will go, oh, thankfully, you know, I did miss, I do miss that and, you know, I hope it comes back and I'll support it. So, uh, well, we've certainly, fingers crossed. We've and certainly, what was the other question? No, we've certainly done our piece to try and uh, to try and help it out indeed. Who would you rather be? Now, folks, you haven't been on Who Would You Rather Be before. So, Gary, I know how much you love it. Folks was on the television version of this uh, humble radio program earlier today and of course there's the two main characters on there Mark Scaife and Russell Ingall who would you rather be? Oh, you make it a difficult Yeah, hell of a choice, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Hurry up, come on we don't have all day, we're already over time by about 15 minutes Yeah, Scaife Alright, for you folks but, but I'd really love a third any alternative, you know the, the door prize would do me yeah, the tall men. <laughs> yeah. Folks, who would you rather be? Tony Cochran, who's already got his money and now chairman of the Gold Coast Suns, along mm-hmm. with uh, everything else, or James Warburton, who's got it all in front of him to get his 5% up to anywhere near that sort of level? Ooh, interesting and tough choice. <sighs> James Warburton, I like his style. He's a smooth character. I can identify with him. <laughs> projecting, projecting very hard there. 
That's all we have time for on this week's edition of Inside Supercars, folks. Thanks very much. The first guest... I love this show. The the first guest to have been on both Inside Supercars television show and Inside Supercars radio program whilst the program has been airing. Chad Nalen, of course, has the dubious distinction of having been on both first, but he was never on the show the same time it was airing on Foxtel. Well, I have one up on Chad Nalen. How about that? You never you thought think. there'd be the day that that would be said. Yeah, it's an unlikely comparison. But I haven't been on Inside Motorsport, so I still have ambitions and goals. Well, and that, that show's only been around 22 years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In fact, Chris Lambden probably has the most returning media... Oh, no, no, sorry. Richard Crail's got that covered by the Country Mile, actually, thinking about it. Gary... Always a pleasure to catch up with you, and uh, well, I hope you. I hope that uh, you have a few other um, opportunities to get the national message, motorsport message out there. Thanks, Craig. It's always a pleasure. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au. Or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.